0: This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. Every word is true, and it is everything we need. All right, as you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has left the Sermon on the Mount. He's walking down the mountain, and when he came down from the mount side, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We have to get into the setting here. You have to know that leprosy was an ugly, ugly disease that was very contagious. It was an infectious skin disease, but it could affect the nervous system, the eyes, respiratory. It was horrible. And you were cast out of the city. You had to leave home. You had to leave jobs. You had to leave your life to be a part of a leper colony or maybe you would even be by yourself and and it was a, a horrible time. Then that you gotta see that. You gotta know that this was a terrible thing and you had one of two choices. You could um, end your life and, and live the, your leper life in hopelessness and helplessness and just wait to die. Or you could do with this leper. I believe this is what this leper did. He used his alone time. He used um, the time. Instead of being hopeless, he sought help. Instead of feeling hopeless, he sought hope. And his hope was Jesus. And he got to know Jesus because of how he said it. He called him Lord. Even though he was getting near to a crowd and the law said you weren't supposed to get six, six feet from people. And if you did, you were supposed to say, unclean, unclean. There was something that drove this man, and I believe it was his true faith and knowledge of who Jesus was. He used his time wisely. Instead of being overcome with the circumstance, he chose to get to know his Jesus better. To me, that is a life lesson and so he called him lord and how he knew the lord he knew he was able that he could no questions asked he could heal this leper knew that jesus could heal he had heard that he was doing miracles all over but there was something when he said, if you are willing, the root word of willing is will. He was surrendering. He was relinquishing his will to the Lord's. Only someone who knows the Lord, I mean, really knows him is going to relinquish his will because if, this man wanted to be healed he wanted to be physically healed but he also knew that his God was bigger and his plan was perfect and he wanted nothing but oh I think that's just so beautiful so Jesus reached out and he touched the man I'm sure you've heard many sermons about that but that touch when Jesus touches when he touched Peter's mother-in-law when he touched this leper he he made them whole. So I asked the question to you. I asked, when, what does the touch of Jesus say to you? A touch from Jesus says he loves you and he can do what no one else can. It's like it's like the song that Bill Gaither wrote. Fortunately, we had a present day man that understood this con- concept and said, he touched me. And made me whole. So this is what Jesus does. His touch is saying, I love you. And I want to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That touch is precious. Jesus said, I am willing to be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. But go to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them you know, Jesus knew that he was starting a new era of things. He was, he was the fulfillment of the law. But until he goes to the cross, until he fulfills his mission, he is saying to this man, go follow protocol. The law says you are to go to the priest. This is very rare that a leper would be healed. But if by chance that happened they were to report to the priest first he would be the one who then would give the okay for him to go back into his livelihood to his life and so jesus says now don't tell anyone now at first i thought well that's kind of impossible how do you not tell anyone everybody's going to know it they're going to see it but i think you have to take it in the whole context what Jesus was saying here, don't tell anyone, don't get sidetracked. And it's so easy to get sidetracked when you're excited. And and maybe, you know, he before you knew it, he would forget that he had to report to the priest because he was so caught up with his storytelling and how it all happened. And so what Jesus was saying here is just do first things first, and that is go to the priest. And I have to tell you what I found. I didn't know what what the gift that Moses commanded was. I didn't understand that before, and I used to probably just let it go. But I went searching this time, and this time I discovered that in Leviticus chapter 14 I want to read this to you. And if it isn't beautiful, I'm so glad I went searching. It said, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought into the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him, that is to be cleansed, two birds alive and clean, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. Then the priest then takes one of the birds and kills the bird in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it in the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them in the living bird into the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. He shall then sprinkle upon him the leper that is to be cleansed seven times and shall pronounce him clean and then shall let the living bird loose into the open field. I know first sounds like hocus pocus, but no, this is Jesus. This is exactly the picture of what Jesus did. You have one who's willing to shed his blood. This blood then covers the living bird and then this bird is let loose it's 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 set free and that's exactly what jesus blood does for us it sets us free so this leviticus 14 command that moses said was required by a leper to a priest was still again the story of jesus and how you and i are set free because of the blood Then when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking him for help. Lord, my servant lies at home, paralyzed in terrible suffering. It's kind of the same principle. I don't know if this happened simultaneously, but but all we know is that when Matthew wrote it, he was trying to make a point. And now we have a centurion. First, we had this, this ugly, diseased, poor man. And then kind of like the outcasts. And then now we have a, a Gentile, a Roman soldier who was a commander over a hundred men. He carried much power. And yet this man, I believe too, has already had the change start within him. Somehow this centurion, even though he was a Roman, even though he was a Gentile, had heard about Jesus and he chose. See, you make a choice. You hear the gospel. Paul says this in Ephesians you hear the Gospel, you then have a choice of whether you're going to believe it or not, and even though it, the, it was so unusual for a Roman Gentile to hear Jesus and believe it, this Centurion did, and because how do I figure that out? I mean how do I know that his heart is changed it is because of the way he he looks at his servant, his slave. This this servant is paralyzed. What good is he? He, He's worthless. And if this centurion was hard-hearted and didn't care, he would have just got rid of this man. But instead, he has compassion and love, and he comes to Jesus because he doesn't want this servant suffering. He has a heart for this man, Instead of getting rid of him, he wants Jesus to heal him, and he humbles himself. And look at he says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. Jesus says, I'll go. I'll go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. I mean, he knows he's a Gentile. He knows what Jews think of Gentiles. He knows he's not one of their kind. And so he doesn't even even think that. Jesus has to come because he he doesn't even want him in his home because he understands where a Gentile stands with a Jew. And yet, I think it's even more precious to think that this man says, all you have to do is say it. He believes that Jesus' word is enough. Isn't that, that's another life lesson here. This centurion proved that you can get to a point in your life where you believe Jesus is enough and that his word is enough. And so Jesus is taken back. He's astonished. Actually, the Bible says, he says, I am astonished. I tell you the truth. I have found not one person in Israel with such great faith. And he's talking about the Jews, Jews who should have known, who have been in, in years and years of prophecy and who have have been his chosen people. They don't even have faith like that. And so we have to talk about that word faith. It seems like no matter what Bible passage we are talking about, whatever book of the Bible we're studying from year to year, faith always comes up because it is the foundation you believe by faith i believe that this chair will hold me up if i sit on it but how do i know that the that the wood isn't rotten on the inside that that um it just is really um just a sample and that when i sit on it that's just going to fall and crumble you have to choose to have faith to believe that it was made right put together right and that it'll hold me up same thing with our faith in the Lord Jesus you profess to say you have faith in the Lord Jesus he can tell whether whether our faith is cheap and counterfeit and it maybe looks good from the outside but he can see whether it's the real thing on the inside is our faith real And and our faith, when it's real, proves itself by by how we handle our lives, the way we look at life, the the way our demeanor is, the way we look at our future, the way way we see how, how much self takes over, how much worry, how much fear, how much panic, how much fretting we do. I don't think that faith and doubt can ever hold hands. I don't think that faith and yeah but ever go together i don't think that we can say i have faith in the lord jesus i be- i have faith in his promises i believe what he says and then say but no and this this centurion really showed great real faith and jesus loved it Hebrew's writer says that faith pleases him when we dare trust him, when we don't even understand it or like it. We saying today, where he leads me, I will follow. You won't follow someone if you don't know him, if you don't trust him so words can be cheap they can be churchy they can they can they can even be a vocabulary that we have learned for years but jesus in the last couple of weeks have been going after is it real in your heart does your life prove it and he used the leper and the centurion to again have us take a look at our own self and then he says, I tell you, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, if you just put yourself in that, can you imagine those who have great faith, no matter whether you come from the east or the west, what Jesus is saying in this paragraph is, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you've done. I don't even care who you are you come to me just as you are that old hymn, just as i am without one plea and then lord i come i come i'm making the move i'm coming to you i know i can't do it in and of myself and so i am coming to you and you will receive in that last verse of that song just as I am, thou wilt receive a well, welcome, pardon, cleanse, relief, because thy promise I choose to believe, O Lamb of God, I come. We make that move to come to him. He is standing there with open arms and to think that once we do that, we will take our place at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He will take anyone, whatever race, whatever nationality. That is not what does it. It's are you one of the few because you entered through the narrow way because you believe Jesus was the only way, the only truth, the only life. And salvation is found in none other. When you truly believe that. And then he puts it and again, he's very blunt and he's very black and white when he says, "I don't care who you are. Even the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside." In other words, my chosen people, or today's version, how about um, good church people who might be taking up room in a pew, and and then they leave, and then they 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 don't change. They don't let the Spirit take over. They don't they. They're really not convinced 100%. Their life, they like the emotion of it all. They like to have the little seeds planted, but they don't let them take root by working at it and studying their Bibles and and staying connected to God's spirit. But he says it very plain, plain, very blunt. He said, I don't care if you're a good church person. I don't care if you've done a lot of good works. I don't care if you're even one of my chosen people, the Jews. If you don't come to a life saving knowledge of a savior and you repent and confess and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord, you won't be saved. And then the only alternative is to go to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we know that's hell. It's a real place. and then the then the then Jesus said this it's Centuring, you go it will be done just as you believed it would and his servant was healed at that very hour and then just two verses where it says when Jesus came into Peter's house he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him I mean, she didn't need any downtime to recoup or anything. I mean, when Jesus heals, he heals completely. And what is a complete healing? Now, we know that Jesus has been doing physical healings. And it's because he knows that he needs to show people who he is. He needs a real visual to get them to come and to get the crowd so that he then can teach them the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he knows how he needs to, to transition into this new way. And so he's using a lot of, of visuals. He's using a lot of physical miracles, but we know that he heals so many different ways. What is a complete healing? We're kind of like the leper where we, we know that he can heal physically, but sometimes he chooses not to heal physically he will heal in another way so what does that mean he'll heal in another way james 5 talks about that all you have to do is call um, two of the elders and anoint with oil and the person will be healed of course as humans we think of the human physical healing right away but if that were the case then there would be no one that died if they just followed that little format and who are two elders elders are two spiritually mature people that are going to help you if in your circumstance has has caused you to not even think straight that you've almost lost your faith you you've been overcome with your circumstance those two spiritually mature people are going to love you enough to get you back on track To help you remember what you know. And what do you know? That God's will is perfect. That he's got a plan for you. That before before you were even born, he had ordained every day of your life. He knows exactly what's on the page for today. He knows exactly how many hairs on your head. He knows exactly how many days on this earth you're going to live. You and I will not leave this earth a minute early or a minute late. He knows and so these spiritually mature people are going to remind you of what you know of the Lord Jesus and all of his promises. And to me, that is complete healing when you lift your hands and allow him, like the leper, to say, if you're willing, but I want your will. I want nothing but your will. That's complete healing. When you allow God to be God in your life and you allow him to use you in whatever way he sees fit because one of the things to remember is that we are here for him not for ourselves. and he can use our our death as much as he can use our life will we let the elder remind us that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we don't have to fear because he will be with us every step of the way. That's complete healing when we relinquish our will into his. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 4, he took up our infirmities, he carried our diseases, Sometimes people take this out of context. They'll they'll look at Psalm hundred three and and they'll hear, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. He heals all our diseases." And maybe you're the you read that somebody think, "Hey, I beg to differ. He did not heal all my diseases." But then again, you are only thinking with your physical eyes physical ears even your physical mind but when you are possessed with God's spirit you will have a whole new dimension of eyes ears and your mind will be transformed and you will start realizing that as as big and as ugly and as awful as cancer is there is a worse infirmity there is a worse disease and that is sin. That is self. And he has come, Jesus has come to take by his grace and his mercy, give us what we didn't deserve. We're full of infirmities. We are full of diseases of sin. And he came to take that, to carry it for us. Keep that in mind the next time when our physical diseases seem to overtake us that Jesus came and took the worst disease and the worst infirmity away from us. And when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Boy, that was quite a statement. And that was coming from a teacher of the law. And, as much as Jesus loved to hear that, we we know that sometimes the teachers of the law can be a little pompous and they can say to make themselves look good and I think that Jesus wanted to make sure that this teacher of the law who's used to fine clothes and he's he's used to having all the the you know things of this world, and i mean they they just um have the attention. They have the awe of people. They, they have so much of this world. And so he says, I just want you to know that foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, when you follow me, it's going to cost. You might have to sacrifice. Things might change in a way that you didn't expect change. But I just want you to be aware he doesn't paint gla- rose-colored glasses over our salvation or our our willingness to follow him. He says, no, it is, it's going to cost. But he also always says, but it will be worth it. I will see to it that the reward for your choice is so outweighs your sacrifice. If you don't mind a personal illustration, about three or four times a year when we were on the road singing, I would have to be gone from home maybe ten days to two weeks at a time. And that's a long time when you have two little boys. Now, I had people who cared for them. I mean, I left them with people that I trusted completely. But there still was that, like any mother, you don't want to leave your children. And so whenever we'd have to do that, I can remember one instance in particular, the goodbyes were always so hard. And so we did our goodbyes, we said our goodbyes, and I remember getting into the car and I thought, oh good, that's over, because I never liked that. And then all of a sudden, just before we backed out of the driveway, here comes a little boy out of the house. And I thought, oh, no, maybe he just wants one more hug. And so I opened the car door. And Jason looked at me, and he said, and you could tell he had been so brave, trying to open his eyes so wide that the tears wouldn't come. But he looked at me, and he said, do you think you can just let me have your Bible? Because then I'll feel close to you. And the last thing I saw through tears, through sobbing, actually, was a little boy carrying, and I have a big Bible. And and here was this little boy holding that big Bible to his chest, walking back into the house as Tom pulled out of the driveway. As we left on our mission, and I was crying. But I wish I could tell you all that happened on that two-week tour I have told you many times what's happened to that little boy. I mean, it is just amazing how the Lord has his hand and he will always win and the cost will always be worth it. But he does level with us and say, this isn't easy. But if you can continue and keep persisting and keep walking forward, I will guarantee you it will be so worth it. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Oh, it was quite a statement. And what he was saying to this man, can I stay and, and bury my father? And and it almost seemed cold when Jesus said, well, let the dead bury their own dead. But that's, that's a crazy statement. How can a dead person bury another dead person? Jesus was talking about spiritually dead. You either, you either choose to follow me or you don't. And then you're spiritually dead. And he said, let those people bury their own. Let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead. You choose to follow me. In other words, you put me first. And, And I looked that up and it not just meant that the father had just died but it was also an excuse how about it if when my father dies then i will follow you and then that made more sense to me because i thought yeah how many times people say oh when i'm done working then i'll come to bible study or um when when i'm I'm older then i'll come to church and know then i'll get to know jesus but i want a little fun first i mean I mean, that is just so ridiculous. They have no idea who he is making those kinds of statements. And that's what Jesus' point. He said, you know what? Here I am. You're going to come just as you are? You're going to accept what I've done for you? Or are you going to come up with all these excuses? And I'm telling you, an excuse has always been, always will be. An excuse is a nice way of saying you really don't want to do it. And that's what Jesus was upset with here. And then they got onto that boat and the disciples followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. Again, that stopped me in my tracks this week studying because isn't that typical? I mean, they, they started on the lake and everything was calm. Everything was nice. And a storm came up out of nowhere. Well, isn't that the way our storms come up too? I mean, we can get up in the morning and our day's going fine and boom, an accident. Or boom, a a doctor's appointment changes everything. Sometimes storms happen just like that. Now, this was another lesson that he was going to teach his disciples because he knows he's still teaching them as well. He knows that we're all on this road of learning and we need life lessons to learn points that he wants to make. And so, as he is, as the storm is raging, and they're fighting the elements, and Jesus is sleeping. What does he want us to see in our storm? Where is he sleeping? And he's not really sleeping because Psalm 121 says he neither slumbers nor sleep. But the idea is he's there. And you know what? He is as calm as can be. He knows that, that there's going to be a reason for, and he's, he knows that this storm is going to end, and it's going to have a purpose, and it's going to have a solution, and it's going to take us farther. Where? In our faith of knowing him. But look, when you don't carry that faith, look at, look how they say, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus replied, oh, you of little faith. I don't think he is mad here. I think he's saying, oh, we got a long way to go. He's saying that to you and me this morning when we fall back into our old ways. He's saying, oh, you of little faith. You cannot have faith and doubt. Those two will never hold hands. You can never say, I have faith, but, yeah, but. No, it doesn't work. Oh, I have faith, but I'm scared to death. Oh, I have faith, but I'm just so worried. No, remember, worry leaves you immobile, doing nothing. Concern will lead you back to him and and, and surrendering to him and, and keep you in his word. And But I guarantee you, if you step out of your faith, when you let emotions get bigger than your faith, I mean there are gonna be emotions. We are gonna be sad sometimes. There's gonna there's going to be sometimes we're gonna get mad. Sometimes there's grief. I mean, we are emotional people and emotions are going to have their place in our circumstances. However, the lesson here is do not let the emotion take over your faith. They even they can't even be on even keel. You either believe that little song only believe only believe all things are possible. Only believe. Do you really believe it? These lessons are tests especially to church people, if we really believe as much as we say we do. And, and our lives in the middle of the storm should show if we do. And the men were amazed when Jesus calmed the winds and the waves. They were amazed because they too are learning. Remember, look at what they said. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I think this was just another step in their learning. You know, this little phrase that he's got this, as much as I'd never want things like that to become cliche-ish, when we sincerely believe that from the depths of our heart, he's got this, it will make such a difference in how we deal with our circumstance. And when you arrived at the other side, there were two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? You know, it's one thing. We always know that demons believe. James even says that the demons believe and they shudder. Sometimes I think demons believe more, more than we do because it says they shudder. They have a holy respect However, what they don't do, they do, what they don't do is, is take their belief and, and work it. They believe, but they don't repent and confess and, and let Jesus forgive and then let the Holy Spirit take over and change their life. See, so you can sit there and believe it all. But if you don't let the process continues so that that the Holy Spirit evolves you into Christ-like character because remember God's goal for us is to turn us into the likeness of his son and so they know that he's the son of God but they also know this look at have you come here to torture us before the appointed time they even know that their end is imminent They know that there is an appointed time and it's called judgment. And if you don't do something with Jesus here, you're going to stand in judgment for your sin. And he is going to say, I never knew you. And you too will be cast into hell. And so here, Jesus wants us to see this lesson. That the demons, they dare face the fact that that is a true statement. The end will come and then it will be too late. But there are so many today. Let's not talk about that. Let's just stick our head in the sand. Let's not talk about that. But these things have to be taught because this is reality. And these demons, believe it or not, are teaching us a lesson here about facing up to reality and truth. In another gospel, it says that the demons say, "Don't cast us into the abyss. Don't send us there." See, they know, and they don't want to go there before their appointed time. And so they so they say, "If you drive us out, then have us go into the herd of pigs." Well that's exactly what Jesus did and at first my thought was Jesus did what the demons told him to do and I thought no when Jesus was tempted he didn't do one thing Satan told him to do why would he do what the demons told him to do but I'm telling you this just look at this he knows exactly what those pigs are gonna do so they think that they're gonna be safe in another body even if it's just a pig but then they'll still remain. But Jesus knew what the pigs would do. And the pigs then would go in and drowned. Jesus always wins. He always knows the better way. And he in here too, I think he's trying to say, sometimes you think you know better. Let me tell you, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna have my way with you. You're going to do it nice or am I going to have to get, am I going to have to get tougher and tougher and tougher? Because I am going to have my way with you. It's just, okay. Then as we saw that um, the whole town went out to meet Jesus, because I mean, you, from another gospel, there was like 2000. I mean, this, you knew this was Gentile territory because of the fact that they were raising pigs and Jews and pigs, that was an unclean animal. So you knew you were in Gentile territory. But Jesus knows how he's gonna start getting the gospel into these these places where where I'm sure the Jews never thought the gospel would go. This is about as unclean territory as they come. I bet I bet the disciples I bet they even had Hebe Jews when they when they got off the boat, having to think they were walking in this kind of territory. And then to see those flocks of pigs and and then to watch those demon-possessed men and then to watch the demons come out and go into those pigs and all those pigs drowned. What a sight. And then, oh boy, the town comes out. Whole town comes to meet Jesus and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Why would somebody tell Jesus to leave? Because they don't know him. They choose not to believe Why do some people start Bible study and it gets a little convicting and it gets a little challenging and it gets a little personal and it's so much easier just to stay home? Someone who doesn't know that there's so much more that, that we are missing if we don't make the effort to learn. There was another part in the gospel where these men wanted to come along with Jesus and come and follow after all. I mean, he touched them and made them whole. But Jesus said, No, I want you to stay here. These two men had to stay in that place. Jesus comes back to this area later, and there are believers here. Now, what does this say? Sometimes Jesus ministry is right where he puts us. And sometimes he says, I want you to stay there. Not everybody is sent to Africa. Sometimes ministry is right where we're at. Maybe, maybe it's in your home situation to be, to be light and salt, to make Jesus taste good, to be the light, like a city set on a hill, to be, to be an answer to someone's hopelessness so that you can share with them. There's always hope in Jesus. Sometimes Jesus puts us where we need to be. He always puts us where we need to be. But sometimes we have to realize that ministry is right where he puts us sometime. And we can live out Jesus wherever we are. Because people need to hear. Because if they don't get to know him, if somebody doesn't tell them, if they don't know him enough, they're going to run. They're going to leave if someone doesn't explain to them their true condition and their need for a savior and we've all fallen short of God's glory if someone doesn't share that with them they're not going to they're not going to want any part of this so sometimes we've got to look at where the lord has us right now and just look at how all his teaching comes together here so are you willing To put forth the effort are you willing to just let him see your heart and expose what needs to be exposed and that you work at this and find that you don't want to miss anything he has for you don't ever run from him you can't you can't hide from him anyway but if you run from him you're just gonna miss what a good lesson father thank you again for being so gracious in simple terms, with simple demonstrations, with simple life lessons, that we take these people, these real people, and we see how they can be us, and we can learn from that. Lord me, we have great faith. May you look and say to us, as you said to the centurion, what great faith. May our life prove it. May our lives really prove it, that you are so pleased. Because that's what we want to do. You deserve it. You are worthy. May our lives be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, who made it all possible. Amen.